Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's word and apply his message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part two of Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter eight. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You're in the family. And if you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of sonship or daughtership. And we cry, Abba, Father, it is the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we too may be glorified, resurrected with him. What a privileged position Jesus has invited us into. And there's someone who never, ever, ever leaves us alone when we're in that redemptive cross together with Christ. And that's our mother, Mary. Remember Romans 7 and that analogy from covenantal marriage. And we saw the old bride and the new bride, the old bride of God and the new bride of Christ. The old bride is Israel. The new bride is the universal church. And Mary of Israel is dressed in black, the widow at the foot of the cross, representing both marital covenants. Both are good. The sister bride of old covenant Israel and the mother bride of new covenant church. One bride is not abolished, but she is swooped, incorporated into the new covenant marriage, and it's called fulfillment. And Jesus said, don't think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Truly, truly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not one dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So those first 3,000 Israelites, they're Jewish and they're incorporated into the new bride of Christ on Pentecost Day when the Holy Spirit is poured out. And Jesus on the road to Emmaus told them, you're so slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? So all that had to happen so that we could become Christ's siblings, his brothers and sisters. Was it not necessary? necessary that Christ should suffer these things. And if we're siblings in his family, is it not necessary that we should also suffer these things in order to enter into eternal glory with him? So there's an inclusion of the old bride into the new bride. And virgin mother, Mary, mother of God, is that hinge pin between the two covenants. God frees the Israelites from bondage. It was 400 plus years. They had to trust God. They had to pass through the waters of death to get to the other side, hopefully a journey to where the promised land. It was a difficult, difficult journey. Just like us, we too in this new covenant must pass through the water of death, baptism, Paul told us, and our journey to the future promised land, future glory. It's also going to be difficult. Life's going to be tough. There's going to be hard parts to it. You are predestined to suffer. He tells us we are. You cannot be assured of your salvation, but you can be assured that it's going to require suffering. You are predestined to suffer. Paul tells us we'll have to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Ooh, that sounds scary. 
No, because fear of God is one of those gifts the Holy Spirit wants to pour into our hearts. Fear of God, which leads in Proverbs 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, another gift the Holy Spirit wants to shower us with, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight, another gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling and questions. He is echoing back to the Israelites there, that you could be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine like lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. So in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run the race or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a libation upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and I rejoice with you all. He has another fruit of the Holy Spirit, joy. He's able to rejoice even amid suffering. That first wedding, daughter Zion to God at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19, they are all assembled. They're washed clean. They're blemish-free for three days, standing there waiting to meet their lover. God, the husband, comes down. The wedding gift is that God has given the chosen people the Torah, his love letter, the law. And the Midrash records that Moses debated with the angels whether man was worthy of receiving the great gift of Torah. And Moshe, Moses, was judged the winner of that debate. And the first Pentecost was born, the giving of the law, Shavuot, the the Israelites called it. The people had so much fear and trembling at the presence of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. God's voice split into 70 dialects. All the nations could hear the thundering, thundering voice of God. The divine speech was coming from the divine fire. The mountain was on fire and smoke and shaking. God showed them his great fire. The word, his word was in the midst of the fire. And even before the people heard the law, they consented to it. Israel was the nation that consented before hearing. According to a well-known Jewish midrash, the oral tradition, the midrash that was uh, God God initially offered Torah to 70 nations who would not accept it with first without asking, what is it about? After hearing the commandment, each nation had some excuse for not accepting it. But God turned to the nation of Israel, who said, all that the Lord has said we will do. Unlike the other nations, they chose Torah before ever knowing its contents. So Moses came down. He called the elders of the people. He set them before the words the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered, all that the Lord has said we will spoken, we will do. Moses reported the words to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, lo, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud. And the people may hear when I speak with you so they may believe you forever, Moses. And on that morning, on the third day, there were thunder and lightning and a thick cloud upon the mountain and very loud trumpet blasts. So all the people in the camp were trembling. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain and Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord God called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up and he's giving him the 10 commandments. And after the command to not covet your neighbor's house or wife or his manservant or maidservant, the people 
perceived the thunderings and lightnings and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking and the people were afraid and they tremble and they stand far off and they said to moses you speak for us and we will hear but let not god speak to us lest we die so they interrupt god in the middle of him giving the ten commandments and say we're done moses you go we're out of here and moses says do not fear god has come to prove to you and that the fear of him may be before your eyes and that you won't sin he's giving this out of love so that we won't sin but the people stood far off and moses himself went back up into the thick darkness so the people interrupt god and and they don't want to hear it anymore they're too scared they're too afraid and god in his mercy tells moses tell them that i'll send a prophet like you like moses an israelite like you and i'll put my words in his mouth and he'll tell them everything god promised them that they were so given over to their flesh having left egypt egypt was still in their hearts They're so in their flesh that they can't not keep God's law, even for a few days, even after that great thunderous episode. And now, after the the apostasy of the golden calf, Moses pleads, he intercedes on their behalf. Oh, please, I pray thee, O God, if I found favor in your sight, show me now that I may know and find favor. Consider the nation, consider the people, your people. And the Lord said, Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with me, then don't, if you don't carry us up from out of here, how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? I and the people, he's really bargaining for them. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing you have spoken, I will do for you have found favor in my sight. And I know you by name. And Moses said, oh, please, please show me your glory. Show me that future glory that Paul's talking about. And he said, I'll make you I'll make all my goodness pass before you, Moses, and I'll proclaim you before my name, the Lord, and I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I'll show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But Moses, he said, you cannot see my face anymore. No man can see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place that you can stand a cleft in the rock. And when my glory passes by, I'll put you in the cleft and I'll cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I'll take my hand away and you'll just see my backside, my face you cannot see anymore. So Moses gave up the glory of the Lord for the grumbling, sinful, flesh-filled Israelites. He's quite an intercessor. He's quite a deliverer. And he will get them all the way to the promised land, but he himself will not get to go in. God has a different plan, and the Lord God will bury him with his own hands, but no one will know the place of burial to this day. The apostle Jude records that Michael the archangel contended with the devil and disputed about the body of Moses. But Moses appears again in the New Testament in the glory, the future glory of Jesus Christ transfigured. He gets to see the future glory of the second person of the Trinity on top of a mountain, Tabor, not Sinai, but Tabor. He's got his tablets of law and Jesus Christ is the new Moses. He's got not the law, the tablets, but love. It'll be written on their hearts. It'll be himself, the Holy Spirit. So we had that first marriage to Israel and the first Pentecost, the first Shavuot, and then the final marriage for all humanity, the first Christian Pentecost. Now this one, the new one, they were all gathered. The day of Pentecost had come and they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound came from heaven like the rush of a mighty wind. Now that would have made them think way back to Sinai. They knew the story. They celebrated it every year. There were appearances as tongues of fire. Remember, God spoke through fire. But these tongues of fire distributed and rested upon each 
one of them. So the divine speech from the divine fire, the divine speech of God that all 70 nations could hear has now settled on each and every individual person. This is a very personal bridegroom this time. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They're filled with the living God and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This divine speech... This holy fire of God had settled on men from every nation. Every nation, again, is represented. Every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing God speak in his own language, just like at Sinai, just like at Exodus 19. The divine speech of God was settling on each individual from every nation in a very intimate, personal way. The divine speech from the divine fire on Sinai that all 70 nations could hear, they could all hear in their own tongue. There was fire. There was clouds. There were trembling. There was wind. There was fear. There was shaking. There was quaking. It was Shavuot. It was Pentecost again. And all that the Lord has said we will do was their response at the first Pentecost without grumbling, without questioning. How receptive are you to receive this intimate divine love language because God wants it for each and every one of us. He wants to fill us with his own Holy Spirit. But how receptive is the bride? How receptive is the bride with a fallen human nature? In the first marriage, they could not keep the law. But the second marriage is a different law. It's a law of love. It's the Holy Spirit. Love is the fulfillment of the law that's been written on the human heart. And this new bridegroom is asking, what is your love language? It's so personal. It's so intimate. He wants each one of us in this type of communion with him. So it's new life in the Holy Spirit. He wants to fill us and live in us and through us and with us. And he wants to set our hearts on fire. His fire, the Holy, he wants to burn away all the flesh and he wants us to live by the Spirit, the heart of love, the heart of Jesus Christ, the heart of God inside of us. This is what was predicted all along. John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but one's coming who's mightier than I, whose sandal I can't even carry. He's not the bridegroom. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And Jesus himself said in Luke 12, I came to cast fire upon the earth. Oh, I wish it was already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how I am constrained until it is accomplished. How I am constrained. Jesus Christ, God in the second person is constrained until his task of redemption is accomplished and he can send the Holy Spirit and the dynamis, the explosive power of the Holy Spirit alive indwelling the hearts of Christians. So the first marriage to God, Israel, the giving of the law, the final marriage to Jesus and all humanity, giving us that Holy Spirit of love to indwell us. He's quite a new Moses. It's quite a different covenant. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is the antitype of Moses. Moses took the people through the baptism of water, like John the Baptist. He got them out of bondage, but the baptism by water didn't solve their sinful flesh problem. Because of their fallen human nature, unredeemed humanity lived more like animals, more like beasts than sons of God. 
Moses gave them bread from heaven, but not the bread from heaven. Moses' bread provided life, but not eternal life. Moses' bread did not contain sanctifying grace. Jesus, the new Moses, said, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. My father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus, the new Moses, said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. The Eucharist, my friends, the bread of life, the medicine of immortality as a sacrament produces in us an increase of sanctifying grace by its own power. This is an excerpt taken from this book. The book is called The Basic Book of the Eucharist by Father Lawrence Lavasic. It was in 1960 published. The Eucharist effects are like those of food. It maintains, it increases, and it repairs your spiritual forces, causing also a joy. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You're caused to have a joy. It's not necessarily felt, yet it's real. Holy communion not only preserves the life of your soul, but it increases it. Just as the body is not only supported by means of natural food, but increased in strength. Holy communion also preserves and increases all the various virtues which are bestowed upon your soul together with sanctifying grace. By increasing the theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity, holy communion enables you to enter into closer union with God. And by strengthening the moral virtues of prudence, temperance, justice, and fortitude, holy communion enables you to regulate better your whole attitude toward God, your neighbor, and yourself. By rendering the seven gifts and the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit more abundant, holy communion opens your understanding and your will to the inspirations and the promptings of the same Holy Spirit. Sanctifying grace is also called habitual grace because once we have received it, it remains as a habit in our soul. Once it has been received, sanctifying grace remains in the soul unless it is driven out by mortal sin. The Holy Spirit is the skillful gardener. The root of the vine is the sinful root, our fleshliness. But through grace, the Spirit gives its, his divine life so that that root may blossom forth into virtues. Pope Pius twelfth in his encyclical letter on the mystical body of Christ, says this, In the Holy Spirit, the faithful are nourished and strengthened at the same banquet by a divine, ineffable bond, and they are united with each other and with the divine head of the whole body. So that with St. Paul, we can say, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the flesh I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. To have sanctifying grace is the first most essential and abiding condition of union with Christ and the basis of all gifts and powers that make up the spiritual life. This grace is real, spiritual, an abiding faculty of your soul, a partaking in the divine nature and image of the divine sonship in a spiritual manner so that you become like Christ who is the Son of God by nature. And as long as sanctifying grace remains in you, he is and remains within you, and you may be one in him and the Father as they are one, that they may all be one, even as though the Father are in me and I in thee, that they also be in us. The Father and the Son are one by the possession of the same divine nature, and you possess an image of that nature in sanctifying grace. 
So Jesus is the new Moses in his supernatural bread. His body is full of sanctifying grace. Now Moses, the old Moses, used the image of the brazen serpent to heal the snake-poisoned sinful Israelites. But in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul tells us that for our sake, God made him who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus paid his life to get us out of sin and not just to get us out of sin, but to keep us out of sin. How? Through those sacraments that flow from his mystical body, of which he is the head. And they all flow with new life in the Holy Spirit, sanctifying grace in every sacrament of the mystical body. So even though Israel had the law, they were still prone to sin, proclivity, inclination to sin. They had concupiscence. So I love that. I love that uh, schematic of Jesus as the new Moses. And on Pentecost, full of the Holy Spirit, Peter stood up and talked of Moses. And he said, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet from your brethren as he raised me up and you shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul that does not listen to that prophet will be destroyed from the people. Jesus was that prophet. Jesus was that son of Israel, the new Moses. And Peter knew it, full of the Holy Spirit. In Hebrews 3, we're told that now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ, the new Moses, Christ was faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if we hold fast our confidence and pride in our hope. For we have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice whose words made the hearers entreat. That's what we just heard on the mountain in Exodus 19. The hearers entreated and said, Moses, you go. We're, we're, we're stepping back. That no further message be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the innumerable angels in festal gathering, this future glory, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to a judge who is God of all and to the spirits of just men made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks more graciously than the blood of Abel. Paul tells the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 3, since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not see the end of the fading splendor, but their minds were hardened to this day. For when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is that veil taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their minds. But when a man turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the spirit, capital S, spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord are being changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the capital S, Holy Spirit. Under Moses, Israel became a nation in covenant with God. There was a Mosaic covenant for the nation of Israel. Under David, Israel became a kingdom in covenant with God. The Davidic kingdom and the Davidic covenant, a kingdom of Israel. Ten generations after Judah, 
You remember last year from Genesis, Judah was Jacob's fourth son by first wife, Leah. Ten generations removed from Judah. In the land of Judah, in a small town called Bethlehem, a small boy named David was born. David was born when? On the Feast of Pentecost, on the Feast of Shavuot, the giving of the law, the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai. David would live for exactly 70 years in the Midrash. It says that Adam gave up 70 years of his own life for the life of David, the future king to come. David lived exactly 70 years. David died on the Feast of Pentecost, Shavuot. What are the chances of that? On the giving of the law, David's birthday and David's death day, both on Pentecost, both on Shavuot. Coincidence? I think not. Also, at Jewish Pentecost, every Shabbat, the scroll of Ruth is read, and Ruth is David's great-grandmother. She was a Moabite princess. She converted to Judaism through marriage to Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. It's a phenomenal story. I wish I could tell it, but I, I can't today. But she's in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, and it's read on Pentecost to this day because the Gentiles are going to come in. It's a universal covenant for all. At Shavuot, at Pentecost, there's something the Jews would do called counting the Omer. The Omer refers to the 49-day period between the second night of the Passover and the holiday of Shavuot. Now, seven It's a feast of weeks, often called, because seven times seven is 49 plus one. On the next day, it's Pentecost in in the Greek, Pente, 50 days. This period of counting the Omer marks the beginning of the barley harvest in ancient times when Jews would bring their first sheaves, the first fruits, as an offering to God. Barley was the first grain in the Holy Land, and barley is an inferior grain. It's used for animal fodder quite often, or very poor man's bread. Wheat is the final and the best grain in the Holy Land, the final finale, the grand finale of the harvest season, wheat, the finest grain. And the command from the Lord, it's in, it's in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, the command from the Lord was to count seven complete weeks from the start of the grain harvest, ending with the festival of Shavuot on the 50th day, Passover. And at the time of the Exodus, Moses announced that from 50 days from our escaping 50 days, we will celebrate a religious ceremony out Mount Sinai. The people were so excited and they counted counted the days. It's, it's where the counting of the Omar started. But there's some spiritual growth that happened in that 50 days. Spiritual growth in waiting for the bridegroom, the promised meeting, the wedding feast. And it's during the counting of the Omar, this 50 days, that the bride is readying herself. Much like the grain harvest of Jewish people first ripened as a nation as they left Egypt and they're blossoming into a true nation of their own. But it won't be complete. Uh, Passover is never complete until they receive the Torah on day 50, the giving of the law, the actual wedding. In the temple days, on the 50th day, beginning the count corresponding to the holiday of Shabbat, on the 50th day, there were two loaves offered, two loaves made of the finest possible wheat offered at the temple to signal the end of the wheat harvest. And the Talmud says that no offerings from the new crop of wheat were allowed in the temple before these two loaves were brought. The Commentaries explain that these two wheat loaves were of the finest, finest wheat, and they were a thank offering 
a, a todah, a Eucharist to the Lord. The Talmud says that by waving the two loaves, they were waved in four directions, all the ordinal directions, north, south, east, west, up and down, to acknowledge the creator, the one who created the four directions in heaven and earth. Waving in the four directions, blessing the winds that originated from them so that they should only be good, beneficial winds, and lifting the loaves, blessing the dew that it too should be beneficial. There's a great contrast between eating the unleavened bread, the feast of the unleavened bread at Passover time, and then the, the two loaf wave offerings that are full of yeast and leaven. On Shavuot, the giving of Torah elevates the world to the spiritual level that existed before the sin of the tree of knowledge, writes one of the rabbis. That was part two of Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter eight, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.